0: What's up guys? Sports are finally back, and if you want to support your favorite team and support this podcast, head over to Fanatics for some dope sports gear. They have a ton of deals and amazing merch, including jerseys, hats, and all things sports related. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, and not only will you get some great gear to support your favorite team, but you'll also be supporting our show and allowing us to continue to bring you guys great content. So head over to Fanatics.com with the link below to get all your favorite gear today. You're listening to the Up and Under Podcast,
1: starting in 3, 2, 1.
0: Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Up and Under Podcast. I'm your host, Hani. Join with me, as always, is Zeeshan. Yo. Alright, man. Back doing the podcast live again together. Um, and, man, we've now reached the conclusion of round one.
1: Yeah, so we 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 talked about round one um the last episode so pretty much what we're going to be doing this episode is just recapping the two round one series um that just ended and then we're going to be moving on to our second round um now again we won't exactly be able to do our second round predictions i guess we can do it for the uh last two uh series but in terms of second round obviously the eastern conference second round has already started so we're just going to be talking about our thoughts on that our recap of it what we think about uh, those series breaking them down. Um, And, uh, yeah, so we're pretty much just going to get started on the Western Conference.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, so we had two Game 7s in the Western Conference to end the first round, officially end the first round at least. They were great Game 7s. They were amazing Game 7s. The first was between the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. And Nikola Jokic, man, he, he had a night. He had himself a night.
1: Listen, the reason I especially love Game Sevens is because they're always very defensively uh, heavy, and they're always very tightly contested games and very gritty games. I mean, to me as a two thousands fan, like bro, if you watch two thousand, you watch two thousands basketball too. Two thousands basketball was very gritty, very low scoring. That was like the slowest time in NBA history, like the slowest pace in NBA history. And it was a regular game to have like a 86 to 83 ending uh, for a regular game. That was how the scores were. Um, and usually in game sevens, even in this era, as we saw with the Denver Nuggets series. Um, I mean, this game ended like with like what, 80 points? Yeah, something like that. It was like 70 something. 78 like, to 80. Yeah, something like that. That's what like the score that. was. Um so yeah, that's why I really like uh gritty games. Even we saw with multiple players putting up 50 points um in the series, like Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell both putting up multiple games of 50 points. The game this game 7 was still uh very tightly contested, very low scoring. And um as you talked about uh Nikola Jokic, game 7 was Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray struggled um offensively um and to be honest if you look at Jamal Murray's career that's not really um surprising in game seven but Jamal Murray did a uh, uh, struggle offensively um and it was on Nikola Jokic to pick up some of the slack and Nikola Jokic did Nikola Jokic um even in his young career has always shown that he comes up big in big moments he always plays um his best when the lights are brightest and you know he put up 30 points he made a Made a couple of huge shots in the clutch. Um, Jamal Murray, again, I talked about he was struggling, but he also did hit a couple of big shots in the clutch as well. Um, so their stars, you know, if you watch the Denver Nuggets in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, they pretty much just spam Nicole Jokic, Jamal Murray, pick and rolls. Um, and they did that and it worked. Uh, they got a couple of, like, I think what was it, like four baskets or something in those last like four minutes. Which, you know, four baskets aren't a lot, but in the context of this game, that was huge. That was a huge swing. Um, The story of the game, I think, was pretty much Denver just jumping out to a huge lead early. They were hitting all their shots. Um, They were playing great defense. Um, But, of course, in the third quarter, you know, teams aren't just going to go out and die in in Game 7. In the third quarter, the Jazz did come back, led by Donovan Mitchell, of course. Um, And then the fourth quarter was kind of went back to a grind out game. Um, Rudy Gobert shot Rudy Gobert. He played really well, especially in the fourth quarter. He made some huge plays on offense and on defense. Um, But again, it came down to, you know, the Nuggets stars um, making those, uh, you know, clutch shots.
0: And honestly, man, like, I got to give a huge shout out to Jamal Murray, man. He didn't play, like, he didn't do what he's been doing for this into, like for the entire series. Like, he hasn't, like, he didn't drop, like, 40 or, like, 50. But his, his, the level of play he's shown during this series has really, like, opened a lot of people's eyes on how talented he really is. He's
1: matured. He is he's definitely, definitely
0: matured. Like, you just see him a lot more confident and a lot more comfortable playing. Uh, and, and that's not to diminish anything that Donovan Mitchell did. I just think that, I mean, we said it before, and... Like, before the series even started, that, like, uh, Denver has the better, more, more talent, and they should actually win this series. I think if Bogdanovich actually was playing this, playing in the series,
1: it may be a different story. It might have been. It might have but, been. But again, we can say that, uh, I'll talk about this right now, Gary Harris, Game 7, amazing. He's not going to show up on any of the highlights for what he did in Game 7, but you could tell Denver's defense went up to a whole nother level just by his presence alone. And you could say you could say about Bogdanovich if Bogdanovich was there, you tell would have won, but um same thing with Will Barn and Gary Harris. If Will Barn and Gary Harris had been there since the opening game, uh, Denver might have been able to finish them out faster. Especially you saw what happened with just with Gary Harris being there and hit him offensively, not even being that great, but just his defense made them that much better. You know, so if you add in Will Barn and give Gary Harris a couple more runs, um. You know, you, you can see a completely different series. Yeah. But I think my my takeaway has to be Gary Harris. Um. You know, again, he's not going to get the love that, he, you know, Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic will. But watching the game and how great he was on defense, especially on the last few possessions, you know, stripping the ball from Donovan Mitchell on that last play, which what in the world were the Nuggets doing on that last play? Nobody knows. Um, it would have worked out fine, to be honest, if Torrey Craig didn't blow the layup. Oh, my God. This man. guy blew the layup. <laughs> he blew the, this layup, guy blew, blew the layup. blew the layup. And then, yo, Denver better thank God that Michael Mike Conley didn't make that shot.
0: Oh, my God, yo. But it, it, another thing I do got to point out before we move on off this game, Um, the the, the Jazz blew a 3-1 lead uh, in the series. And again, a lot of it, I think, has to do with inexperience. I think just Donovan Mitchell just... Uh, he played really well, but I think as a whole, like they're just a very young group, and I think uh, just like the Nuggets last year, uh, they need that like that experience and that exposure, and like these game, these like close game sevens to actually like uh, truly like grow for them for next year.
1: Also, uh, it didn't help that Jamal Murray went off for forty and that, fifty.
0: That also doesn't so, help. Yeah.
1: too. Um. But yeah, so that was the Nuggets and Jazz series, a very entertaining series, um, all the way from start to finish. I think. Uh, moving on to the Rockets and Thunder series, which just finished as well. Um, this was also a very good game seven. Uh, OKC won, uh, the last, what was it, last two games in order for them to get to a game yeah, seven. They
0: had to force the game seven to, they won game five and game six.
1: Um, and I think the, the main thing on OKC's side, and, uh, this has proven well throughout the whole season and the whole series, I think as well. OKC just needs to be in the game until the last, you know, the the fourth quarter. If OKC keeps the game and then they can get to that fourth quarter, that's the recipe for success because they're the best clutch team in the NBA by far. Um, And that was what they pretty much their plan was in this game seven as well. It worked for them in the whole series. Whenever there was a close game in the series, OKC won the game, right? Whenever it was a blowout, Houston won So, OKC, what they're trying to do was just keep it close until the fourth quarter, which they did that. They, they they were able to do that. Problem was, unlike the whole season and in this series, they blew it in the fourth quarter. They completely blew it. They played terrible. They missed a bunch of shots. Um, again, Houston's defense has been elite, um, and people... You know, people. I don't think people still don't understand that because they see, you know, the James Harden narrative of not playing defense, Russell Westbrook narrative. But Houston as a team is insane defensively. I mean, they have best defenders. They've been the best team defensively by far in the
0: bubble. I mean, like, we all make fun of Houston in the small ball lineup. But if you look at it, like, the whole concept of it, it's all based off switchability. Like, you can switch to literally anybody. Now... Yeah, are, are they not the biggest team? No, but when you're putting like tougher guys like Robert Covington, PJ Tucker on bigs and voicing and being a little bit more physical, being more agile, that really it helps Houston um muck things
1: up and really just make it very difficult for teams to run a traditional style of offense. And here's the thing about Houston's quote-unquote small ball. The reason why Houston's small ball works for them is because their quote-unquote small guys are not small at all. Russell Westbrook is one of the strongest point guards James Harden one of the strongest, if not the strongest, two guards in the game. And then you have Roko, Daniel House, and P.J. Tucker. Some of the biggest wings in the NBA. So even this concept of small ball for Houston is not really even a small ball for them because they're big guys and they can switch across all positions. And they're pretty much... They have no positions. Whoever is on the block plays a center. It, it doesn't matter who the guy is. They just have their positions... And whoever's in that position plays that position. That's it. Like, you look at sometimes their center is Robert Covington. Sometimes it's James Harden. Sometimes it's P.J. Tucker. It doesn't matter for them because they have so many of the same type of dudes, which is why it works for them. Now, if other teams try to do it, it's not going to work for them because they don't have the same personnel of Houston. Um, But Houston's defense is really what killed OKC because OKC was not able to execute pretty much any offense in the whole series. The reason why they were able to get to Game 7 was just off the individual brilliance of guys like Dennis Schroeder and Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis-Alexander um, and Danilo Gallinari, who played terrible in Game 7, by the way. But if it wasn't for uh, OKC's ability to make isolation clutch shots, they would be nowhere in the series because they, had, they couldn't do anything on offense. They couldn't run any sets. And you saw that it finally came back to bite them in Game 7 when they were not able to do anything. And then even in their iso plays, they missed a bunch of their shots. Well,
0: yeah. We even noticed that in Game 1 and 2 of this series where, like, OKC got blown out, like, twice. And a large part of that was just because they couldn't generate any offense against Houston's defense. But I will say one thing. The one player who really surprised everyone in this Game 7, and particularly
1: this series, is Lugin's Dort. Shout out Dort, bro. Hey, I called it before the series. I told him. I, I-, I told you, bro. I like this guy. Uh, Credit also, Sam
0: Presti, man, for finding guy this guy, undrafted guy.
1: Also, another Canadian. Shout out all the Canadians in the NBA. Yo, we got Jamal
0: Murray. We got Lou Dort. Yo, we set. We, Bro, we, 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 he's and he's a
1: really good player. And that that was, I think, the biggest thing for him in Game 7 was obviously the game plan, plan for Houston. 30, the game plan for Houston was just leave him wide open because he can't shoot. But in Game 7, he made all his shots. He, he was, what, 6 of 12, if I'm not mistaken, from 3? Um... That was the thing. He was, there, he was OKC's leading scorer. And I think that's the next stage of his development. Obviously, he's already an elite defender. We've seen that in the series. As a rookie, he's an elite defender already. The next step is his offense. And he's a very, very, I think, capable offensive player. Similar to what Andre Roberson does for OKC. Well, obviously, he hasn't been there for the last two years. But similar to what Andre Roberson does for OKC, he's a very smart cutter. He's a very smart off-the-ball player. Lugan's door is already at that stage. It's just, you know, being able to hit those shots is what's going to come next for him.
0: Yeah, but bottom line is, I mean, OKC, okay, like their inexperience really came back to bite them, and Houston really stepped it up when, when it mattered most, and uh, that's what what led Houston to moving on. And uh, shout-out James Harden for that block, yo. People hate on James Harden, man, but that was a very impressive Bro, play.
1: listen, man. If you hate on James Harden's defense, it shows Loki you're a casual fan because that defensive narrative has been dead for a couple years now.
0: That was an imp- like I didn't even see that. Like, it's not even just a block. It was the fact that he was aware enough to avoid the like a potential like
1: out of bounds, re- out of
0: bounds, like rebound, like ricochet. Uh, and if you
1: look at the game, he he might have been their best defender that game. Y- you talk about the great players. Being able to impact the game in different ways when your shot isn't falling. James Harden had what three blocks, three steals, something like that. I don't know. what... I, I don't I don't remember the stat line exactly. But he had he had a couple steals, some blocks. He took a couple charges. He was doing everything defensively. If you go back to his OKC days, even like he was he was a, a, a decent defender as well in his days. It's just obviously those couple first years in Houston didn't help. Um.
0: Yeah, but that was basically the first round of the, uh, of the playoffs uh, that concluded it. We got to move on into the second round that has already started, uh, especially in the Eastern Conference. So the first uh, matchup in the Eastern Conference uh, is between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. Now, surprisingly enough, at the time of recording this, the Miami Heat lead this series two games to zero. And honestly, man, I'm actually quite surprised. I didn't I'm not look, surprised, but I, I didn't think Miami was going to go two games Yeah. Before. I I thought this was going to be maybe a 1-1. One, one, one.
1: Yeah. Uh but Miami, I'm not it's not out of the it wasn't the out of the realm of possibility for us. Um especially for me, I didn't think it's not it's not impossible to me that Miami would be up 2-0, but I didn't think it would happen.
0: And it's but it's the way that they're doing it. Miami is doing as good as a job as anybody would be expecting. Very
1: methodical.
0: I mean, they're taking away the three point shot. They're defending Giannis very well. And they're forcing the rest of the team to beat, to beat you, which is precisely the way the guard, the, the guard the Mi- this Milwaukee Bucks team has currently constructed. Um, And then on the flip side, Miami's making more shots. They're shooting the ball incredibly well. And they have the, the role player stepping up. Like Jimmy Butler, take, take it, he, besides his explosion with 40 points in game one. Man dropped thirteen points in game two, and they still won, so um the fact that you know miami is has the role players stepping be up, and one guy in particular is Goran Drogic. he's been playing fantastic for Miami just in, the, being, in
1: the bubble in the bubble the, the just, whole bubble
0: just being that secondary creator
1: um and he's capable of doing this. it's just obviously he's a bit older now he's not going to do that throughout the whole season, but he's very capable of doing this. Um, people who watched the NBA a couple years ago remember his days in Phoenix, where he even made an All Star game. I think he he was on the All Star team, right? No, in Phoenix? He never he never made one. Okay, well he was close. I remember he was very close. Yeah. Uh, he was on those Phoenix teams with Eric Bledsoe, him, Eric Bledsoe, um, all of those guys. That it was a really fun team in Phoenix to watch. Um, yeah, but Goran Dragic has been great. Um, the one thing for Miami, uh, I think what they've been doing. Is constantly they have that one guy, a strong guy, guarding Giannis, but then they also have the two guys behind uh, that first defender. They're always pretty much showing three guys on Giannis, but when Giannis and and making him be a facilitator. But again, when Giannis kicks it out, those two guys are already there in the rotations. So uh, Miami is playing a very smart game, a very uh, methodical defense. Um, and then on offense, Miami's doing a bunch of great things too. One of them, um, I've noticed as well, uh, Miami hasn't been attacking the middle. Um, and in, in particular, in particular, they haven't been, uh, utilizing pick and rolls with Brooke Lopez. If you look at Milwaukee's defense, the one place they get a lot of success and pretty much the primary factor of success is when they have Brooke Lopez and whoever else, mainly Eric Bledsoe or George Hill. Um, in a pick and roll defending a pick and roll situation and that funnels and allows their whole defense to operate miami is just taking that out they're they're saying we're not even gonna do a pick and roll with brook Lopez, man and if we do we're gonna use a guy like kelly Olynyk who's gonna pop out and hit a three so miami is playing a very smart game and um i think it also comes down to again we've talked about it with mike Budenholzer before the coaching in the playoffs is an issue. He's, I mean, he's a regular out, season coach. He's he's been getting out coached by Eric Spolstra. um We talked about I think in the Orlando series things like not playing your players more. Why would you keep your regular season rotation with in in the playoffs? The playoffs is when you got to play your main guys more, not play them the exact same. Like a guy like Pat content getting like 28 minutes. Why, why is Pat Content getting 28 minutes no, he's, he's, he's cool for he's cool for a good 15 minutes sure but there's no reason why Giannis 12. why Giannis is not playing 40 minutes
0: but like and, and it all comes down to the fact that like the old saying is the playoffs is a new season because it's, it's exactly what it is it's, it's a brand new season essentially where you need to game plan differently teams are going to be you know reading you know reading what you do you know trying to counter each and every single move you're gonna make and um the reality is, Mike Budenholzer just isn't a guy who can adjust. He's shown it with the Hawks, and now he's showing it with the Bucks. How he's, he's very stubborn. Coach. He is very stubborn. Like it, it reminds me a lot of what Dwayne Casey used to do with Toronto. Yeah,
1: like, yeah, definitely.
0: It's uh, the fact that like he's not making the requisite adjustments to put his team in the best position to to be successful, and that's where it's hurting them.
1: I think one thing we might as well mention before we move on because it's the hot topic right now is the officiating at the end of Game 2. Um, people are mad about the officiating. I think rightfully so, because the officiating was ugly um, at the end of Game 2. Problem is, based on what the NBA rules now, and what the rule book dictates now, those were the correct calls. Those were the correct calls. You can't dispute the fact. I think what people are angry about are that they haven't seen the same type of calls in the past made, especially at the end of games. I think we talked about... I think I brought this up... um, I brought this up a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about things that we noticed in the bubble. Officiating is one of them. Um, People don't understand how much pressure... People see the pressure by fans on the players, but there's equally amount of pressure by the fans on the officiating. When you take out the fans and as we've been seeing in the bubble, the officiating has been more free. It's uh they've been uh calling more things, they've been doing things like calling more ticky tack fouls, they've been calling fouls at the end of games. And that's all due to the fact that there is no more fans. Um and the refs can operate more freely. So I think yes, were the calls a bit badly timed, sure. But they are the correct calls technically and Without with the absence of fans, the refs don't have any you know psychological barrier to not make that call. They're gonna make those calls now, and we've been seeing that throughout the whole bubble. I um, mean, even with flagrant fouls and things.
0: We're like gonna that. we're gonna get into a little bit more about the officiating, especially on the next series we're gonna cover. But bottom line is, the Heat are just outplaying, uh, the Bucks. You know, and um, it's evident. I mean, now the the, the Bucks have to respond, uh, being down uh, 0-2 in the in the series. But moving on to the next series in the Eastern Conference that's also uh, on the way. We're actually currently watching Game 3 as we record this. Uh, it's between the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors. And unfortunately, the Celtics are up 2 nothing in this series.
1: Um, yeah, that hurts us right. And, let's,
0: and th- this, this hurts a lot more. Like, honestly speaking, you know, I get Game 1. We played like shit in the first quarter uh, and just couldn't recover. But the fact is that the Raptors have been really playing... Like, very, like, very bad, to say the least, you know? Um, They're not able to make any shots. Like, they shot 10 of 40 on Game 1 from 3, 11 of 40 from Game 2 from 3. And they're not capitalizing, especially on the open looks. Like, the Raptors are doing a great job generating the open looks and generating good possessions, but they're not making any shots. Their offense is becoming stagnant, and that's allowing Boston to take advantage because now – Boston gets stopped, and then they can score on the other end.
1: The thing is, um, also, I think one aspect that's been sort of overlooked is the Raptors' primary uh, factor on offense is the transition. Boston is, exactly. what, top two in transition defense, right? So Boston, being such a good transition defensive team, has been neutralizing uh, the Raptors' primary offensive you know, function. Um but I think, to be honest, the Raptors aren't even playing that bad. They're not. They're not playing their ba- They're They're well, executing their game plans fine. The one problem is they're just not able to hit their shots. That's literally what the series has come down to. Exactly. Like, I was just about to bring up. Defensively,
0: the Raptors are looking very solid. Besides the first quarter of Game 1, if you just look at the scoring splits between each and every single quarter played in the series so far, it's been very close. Maybe like it's been
1: what we've expected.
0: Under a five-point difference between every quarter. Pretty much. And... That's a testament to how well the Raptors are playing defensively. Like last game, game two, they held the Celtics to 102 points on 40% and The shooting. fact that their
1: offense is struggling this bad and yet they're still in these games um, it's a, it's is a testament to, to their defense. But again, it comes down, it's a make or miss league, right? You either make, make your league, shots Doug. or you miss them. These guys, are gener- these guys are playing their game plans perfectly. Like there's nothing, th- their game plans are pretty sp- flawless right now um, from what I've seen. It's it's just it comes down to not being making able shots. to make shots.
0: And again, we, we can't like say this is like we can't say this is all like on the Raptor. The Celtics are doing an amazing job. Like you mentioned that the fact that they are they're making things tough for Toronto. Like they're really stopping the transition game and the role players are stepping up. Like Marcus Smart was the, the, the hero in game two
1: for like Getting five straight threes. Five
0: straight threes. The the, the Celtics probably would have lost that game. Had Marcus they they Smart were on their
1: that way to losing a game. Marcus Smart won them that game. Marcus Smart won that game. Also, Marcus Smart, like flat I board. hate Marcus. Okay, like, sure. He's I hate. Board now. I hate uh Marcus Smart as a player. But you gotta respect what he does on the court because this guy is arguably the best defender in the NBA, and no, that's no, that's no, coming sure. from a Raptors fan, bro. This guy, his defense is. Elite, like top five he's in the league, for like, sure.
0: Honestly speaking, like as, as as players like who enjoy the two thousand style of basketball, my Marcus Smart is actually like one of those players that like you would fit right in. If we, yeah,
1: minus the flopping. I mean,
0: look, he, because he's a Boston Celtic, we hate him on him a lot more. But you gotta give him credit. You man. gotta
1: give, yeah, exactly. You gotta be honest with you. you. You can't dispute the fact that Marcus Smart is one of the best defensive players in the game by far. Um, he's really been the one guy that stood out to me in the series. No, defensively. for sure. uh, But then you also have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum on the wings, which has really made um, life for the Raptors tough, especially uh, Brad Stevens made the adjustment of putting, um, you know, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum on Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. And we know, the recipe, we know the recipe to stop Van Vliet and Lowry has primarily been to put bigger players on them because of the fact that they are small no matter how skilled they are you know they are smaller players so that's been the recipe to beat them um, in the past and it's working for Brad Stevens right now too as we've seen um, you know Kyle Lowry and Fred Van VanVleet are still good enough to make a positive impact on game but again it's the fact that they're working so much harder they're not um, you know being able to hit those shots that they normally do and that's a testament to again Brad Stevens as a coach uh, knowing what to do
0: yeah, I, I, and honestly, man, I think the bottom line with this series is and the reason why the Raptors are in a hole is because the Raptors are beating themselves. You know, they're not playing to their standards. Um, but I gotta give credit, I mean, we gotta give credit to the Celtics, man. I mean, even watching uh, Game 3 right now, like, it's, this is still very close. And for those of you out there saying, that oh, the Celtics are running away with this. No, the Celtics aren't running away with this. The Raptors are literally beating themselves by just not playing to their standards. Um... Now that being said, if the Raptors can pull off a game three win, if <laughs>
1: that's a big if, that's at the a moment. very
0: big if. Um, you know, then maybe we might have a series. Um, but again, you know, the Raptors they got to be better. You you can you can't be this bad. Uh, on offense, like you gotta hit shots.
1: Um. Yeah, that brings us to our next series, which is. Going to start. Um, it hasn't started yet. No, While we're, we're recording this, it's going to start tomorrow as we're recording this. It is the Los Angeles Lakers and the Houston Rockets. Um, I think what it comes down to again, we've we've talked about these games between these two teams before. It comes down to big ball versus small ball, right? Um, the Lakers are one of the biggest teams in the league, versing you know Houston small ball. Um, I think the main factor in the series has to be Anthony Davis. Uh, he has to be an impact player in the series. He can't have... He can't go and he can't have fourth quarters where he's shooting the ball like four times. He has to be an impact player in the series. Especially when you look at who's checking him. Again, we talked about how good Houston is defensively. But AD is arguably the best big man in the league. Right? Arguably. Um, you, for sure, one of. One of, for sure. And so, having like P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington, if you're AD, you got to you look gotta, at... You got to dominate. You got to dominate, man. You got to look at those matchups and you got to be able to dominate those matchups. Um, I think another factor in the series, obviously, is uh, LeBron James, um, what his passing will do, um, his driving ability. Obviously, we know Houston's wings are very good um, and as well-equipped as anybody to be able to slow down a guy like LeBron James. Um, but, but, you know, LeBron, I think, will do what he does, um, as we've seen it in years past. Um, Houston will, again, as we know the game plan for pretty much every single Houston game, Houston's going to hit a bunch of threes. Um And they're going to attempt a bunch of threes because they know they don't have the size to match up with the Lakers and they won't be able to stop them inside the paint. Uh, That has Again, that has to be the recipe for success if you're um, on the Lakers. You have to be able to drive that basketball. You have to be able to get in the lane. and You've got to be able to dominate if you're LeBron James, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, and all that. Um, But yeah, it comes down to whether or not I think the Lakers will be able to Stop Houston's offense and be able to keep up in terms of three point shooting. Because again, though they did shoot very well in the Trailblazer series after that first game, the the most suspect thing for the Lakers all year has been their three point shooting. Um, will they be able to keep up with Houston's three point shooting? Obviously, you're not gonna be able to outshoot Houston, but you have to be able to keep up at least and make enough three point shots.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think. Like even if they don't make enough three point shots, if Anthony Davis and LeBron James can dominate the the Lakers, I'm sorry, the Houston Rockets, uh, you know, smaller players, I think they for sure have a chance. They for sure have a, they 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 should easily win this series. Like I w-
1: I would say, w- what's your prediction?
0: I'm going. I'm doing this either in five or six.
1: I'd I'm, say six. I'm
0: leaning more to six, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's in five. Uh, just because I just think LeBron and AD should be able, should dominate this, you know. There, there's no They'll reason why they should. They have the rebounding
1: shouldn't. advantage. And no, they can they're also
0: the bigger that. team. You also also you got to also understand. There's also Javale McGee on this Lakers team, Dwight Howard on this Lakers team. Uh, Kyle Kuzma's a big player. You know, like they have size, a lot more size than what Houston has. And I think um, if they use it correctly, this shouldn't be, you know. A very tough one for the
1: Lakers. They have the... At least in theory. I think they have the players equipped to be able to at least slow down some of Houston's, um, you know, game. But again, I think we're talking about big men. It comes down to, I think the, the Lakers will have to play Anthony Davis at the 5 a lot more in the series. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that Houston... If you play JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, big minutes you're going to get killed because Houston's just going to camp out the corners. P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, they're going to kill them. Um, So you're going to have to play Anthony Davis a lot more of the five, which is okay because the Lakers are a big team, so they can still capitalize on that fact. Um, But again, I think this will be a very interesting series. I would say it'll probably be the Lakers in six. But um, yeah, I think uh, it'll definitely be an interesting series. Yeah.
0: And moving on to the final series of the second round, this one will actually be starting tonight. Uh, it's the between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. Uh, and just a, uh, a note: Patrick Beverly will be back for Game One. So, um, man the the, the main uh, the main question marks at least for this series is how much of an impact will Nikola Jokic have? Now, obviously, the Clippers don't really have a ton of. Uh, big, they don't really have a ton of depth, especially at the the big man position. So Jokic might be, like, will he be able to take advantage and have an impact? Um,
1: I think the one player for Denver that uh, could make an impact is Nikola Jokic. Um, Because of the fact that of course, as we talked about all season long, pretty much, the Clippers, their their weakness defensively would definitely be their big man spot. You know, you have star Zubac on uh, Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic has the ability to work around him offensively, work, you know, on the perimeter, um, be able to spin past him, do all that, uh kill kill him with, you know, his passing. Um and then obviously if we put Montrez on him, Nicole Jokic can just back down Montrez and shoot over him because Montrez in no way will be able to stop Nicole Jokic in the post. So I think that is the one guy, uh if you are Denver it's that's because, like and like a lot a lot of Denver fans are gonna say like, oh why not
0: why not Jamal Murray? The reason behind it is because he's going to most likely have either Paul George or Patrick
1: Beverly or Shammit.
0: Or Landry Shammit or a combination of the three on him at all times.
1: And listen, it comes down to, to be honest, the Clippers defense. Yeah. Um, the Clippers defense is just a suffocating defense. Again, we've seen, we saw in the Dallas series that I think the Clippers defense are not as um, impenetrable as we thought. I would say that. But again, the Dallas had a different personnel. You had Luka Doncic, you had a five out system. You guys you had like you had a driving guards like Trey Burke and, and Seth Curry and uh, Tim Hardaway Junior. So it is a different set of personnel that you have on the Denver Nuggets. And the fact that the Clippers will be able to put a, a plethora of guys on Jamal Murray on well, I don't know if Will Barton's gonna play in the series, but on Jamal Murray um and you know their other players, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I think will be very, a very impactful point of the series.
0: And then on the flip side, like who's gonna like who's gonna guard? How are they gonna guard the the Clippers?
1: Well, that's the thing. Who's like, gonna guard? You have Gary Harris back, so I would assume he'd take the best guard, and that would probably be Lou Will. You have Gary Harris there to try and Kawhi? defend Lou Will. Now that's Kawhi? the problem. You have. Your wing guys, because um, I don't see anyone who has the size and the speed and the speed to keep up with Kawhi Leonard. Right? Now you do have oh, number one is Paul Millsap. That's, oh, and don't don't forget about Paul George because that's still a yeah, factor. Yeah, that's one option. You have Paul Millsap as one of your options. He's definitely a guy that can keep up strength wise, um, especially if you, Kawhi wants to operate in the post. I think Paul pa- Paul Millsap can definitely be an impactful player in that area. But again, it comes down to Kawhi is gonna be uh you know the speed. Aspect. Now you have a guy like Jeremy Grant, who is, I think, the best equipped player to defend either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. You oh, know, yeah, length wise, speed wise, strength wise on Kawhi, it'll be a, a tougher thing for him. And Jeremy Grant on Paul George, jo- Paul George plays a bit more like a shooting guard, considering he had to do that in his rookie year. Obviously, with Danny Granger occupying the small forward spot, Paul George learned to play the two guard more. Um, which was not his natural position, but again, you've seen you see how it's helped in his career playing a lot more but off argu- the ball.
0: Arguably, he's actually I find he's more effective at the two guard because I think he's got the height yeah. to be a more effective two guard than a three. He he
1: he does. There are some disadvantages with him because he doesn't have a frame at the up for a three. That's my that's my issue with it. But again, I think it comes down to which matchup you prefer. Yeah. Like he does, he does have um, the quickness, especially in a, a, a small forward spot. And, you know, we talked about his shiftiness um, playing that two-guard spot, which definitely helps against threes. But, you know, uh, it, it'll be a question of who you can put on Paul George, especially because Jeremy Grant's not really that guy that'll chase around screens. He's more of... he. I think he'd be better suited to be put on Kawhi rather mm-hmm. than Paul George, and you'd rather have, you know, somebody else. Now, the question for Denver is you don't really have a somebody else I, the only guy length-wise and quickness-wise that can keep up with those guys is Michael, Michael Porter Jr., and he's a terrible defender. No, I, as I, a I, rookie, like, no disrespect, he's a rookie, I get that, but he is, at this stage in his career, at least, he's a terrible defender.
0: Like, he does have a physical tools, but no, he's not the guy I would pick. Maybe if Jamal Murray can kind of step up on that end, he might be able to slow down um, a player like Paul George, but, man, Mike Malone is going to have uh, his hands full, man, trying to figure out how to do this. Uh, but as far as an overall prediction for this series... Again, I'm, I'm gonna have. I'm going five or six. I'm leaning five. I think I um, lay in five, pretty much. I I, think I, I just right. think that this is gonna be too big of a task for Denver, especially after one days of uh, one day
1: rest. Yeah, that's, after that's, that
0: intense game seven.
1: Yeah, going game seven and then facing a healthy, uh, arrested well, Clippers team.
0: One thing you can argue is similar to how the Lakers lost to Portland in game one is that you know having that intensity might work out in their favor. But Again,
1: that's that's the one game that we're giving them, right? So yeah. If so, they win game one. I wouldn't be shocked if they win games. Gentleman five, sweep, but I don't think they're winning more than one game in the series. It's a gentleman sweep,
0: uh, and though, and yeah, with that, that's basically the second round of the playoffs. Um, by the way, uh, just a little bit of a, re- a programming revise. Uh, the Raptors won Game Three. O oh, OG. Oh, uh, we didn't actually record a reaction live. Yeah, we kind of had to
1: pause the episode for that. So yeah, we, we, in between this, while we're doing this, uh, yeah, we we kind of had to pause and watch it. Bro, OG, my question is why did OG and Obi not get that final shot in Game 2? This guy was the only one who was making any shots hey, in, man, in this series. He, so why did he not get that shot in Game 2? All I two? can
0: say is this is still a this is still a series. Although, yes, did the, the Raptors have to win on a... That, that they posse- have to win the That team. possession with Daniel Tice, that the Celtics that last... That cannot the, happen. That cannot happen That was a
1: disgusting possession for Raptors.
0: That cannot. But we're, we're hyped as hell. This is still a series, but just we wanted to like...
1: Throw that in that you gotta win game It's a two. two-one I mean, series. You gotta, now. Win game four. you gotta be able to tie it up. Got gotta tie it up now.
0: Uh and with that, that that was basically our breakdown of the entire second round of the playoffs. Um we'll see what happens going forward, man. And things are already getting too exciting, man. Things are things are definitely intense. Yep. Uh moving on into the up and under segment for this week and some news actually this week. Uh first of all, are you up or under on John Morant, as expected, has been named the 2019 20 NBA Rookie of the Year.
1: Uh, I'm up on it. He obviously deserved it. You know, if Zion Williamson played the entire year, then he probably would have gotten it. But obviously, Zion- I was scared that Zion it, might have been might have just like won away
0: people's hearts. But I think the bubble games really, really reaffirmed everyone's Re- decision. Well, I mean, the bubble games weren't a
1: factor. Well, either decisions. way, I think that just reaffirmed everyone's belief that John Morant is. I, I was hoping that people, you know, these guys weren't stupid enough to vote for Zion Williamson based off the 12 games or so that he played. We were
0: the top three. It was Ja, Zion, and Kendrick Nunn. Yeah. yeah. Kendrick uh, Nunn
1: came third. Kendrick Nunn came third. Um, But, yeah, uh, Ja Moran definitely deserved it, especially because of the fact that Zion Williamson barely played. And from uh, start to finish, Ja Moran was easily the rookie of the year. So, yeah, shout one out to of, John Moran, bro. One of Memphis my has a players, nice future.
0: Man. One of my favorite players, Like he he really stepped Like He was one of the major reasons why I really enjoyed watching Memphis play this season.
1: I think everyone enjoyed watching Memphis They have a
0: play. really good future, man. Shout out to the front office. They did a great job.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next up, are you up or under on the Brooklyn Nets just announcing their new hire of Steve Nash uh, to a four-year deal as their new head coach? Um, and also, Jack Vaughn, who was their interim head coach, is remaining as the lead assistant for Steve Nash.
0: Okay. Um, this is tough. Okay, I'm kind of in the middle here. I'm kind of indifferent. I'm up on the sense that I'm a big Steve Nash guy. I've always had been. I think he's been. he's one of the smartest players to ever play this game. Um, and I think if anyone could... Would like, any former player would eventually become a head coach? I think Steve Nash would have been on that list. Make a easier transition. Yeah, I think, I think Mike Mike D'Antoni he quoted saying that we used to always the way we ran our offense was that oh uh, get the ball to Steve, Steve will will will, will figure out what to do, um, and that's because Steve was just that great of an innovator, that great of a, a play a playmaker that he was able to you know run run the offense essentially himself. Uh, so I do think he he will be good on the X's and O I am a little bit iffy on the fact that Brooklyn really rushed into this hire. Now I think they've been talking for quite some time
1: between the two sides because nobody really knew. Well, they had to. They They had to. I think they're talking. They're looking for a head coach pretty much after the Kenny Atkinson fire, and they've done which their was like, diligence. Like what? Late February. Yeah, so they've done their due diligence for a while. So I don't. I don't know if it's that much of a rush. Well. My thing is that because there were other candidates, um,
0: like they, I think Tyronn Lue's name was the most popular name, which I don't really understand.
1: I don't understand. Um, I think your um, your hesitancy towards Steve Nash, as is with mine, comes from the fact that no experience on well, the bench.
0: I was about to bring that up because let's be real, Steve Nash has been a developmental player, um, so he's been a developmental uh, advisor advisor for the Golden State Warriors. He has a relationship with Kevin Durant, obviously, through his time with the Warriors. Uh, obviously, he's had a hand with Canada Basketball. Um, you know, but Steve Nash hasn't actually, like, been a bench boss. Like, he actually hasn't had that There's a coaching. lot
1: of pressure sitting on that bench. There's a lot. It's not the same thing as seeing in an office.
0: Yeah. And I do like the fact that Jacques Vaughn has decided to remain, now, although a lot of people were, were frustrated at the fact that, like, Oh, maybe, why didn't he get a fair shot at the head coaching at the head coaching job? But the fact that Steve Nash is gonna have some a guy who has a lot of familiarity with this team, had spent the season with them, you know, and, and coached
1: quite well, if I do say. Yeah, like, he didn't he, do a bad he, job. He was a good. He,
0: he did a pretty good job. Look, man, I I'm intrigued by this hire. I am hoping Steve Nash has a great job. Obviously, like we saw how it went for Jason Kidd, but let's be real. Steve Nash has always been better than Jason Kidd, at least in my eyes. Um, Factual. That, so, um, I think that'll hold true in coaching too, um, but yeah, I'm 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 happy for Steve Nash, and I'm interested to see how this is gonna go, man. I think obviously how he handles Katie and Kyrie, more so Kyrie, is gonna be uh, interesting. But I think from the play, from a playmaking perspective,
1: you seen with uh, Steve Nash?
0: So. Oh yeah, so I we do gotta touch up on the Steve A thing. Okay, this hire had nothing to do with race, I think. I don't know what Stephen A. What tangent Stephen A. decided to go on,
1: bro. There's a reason why every like Loki, man. Like this guy used to be a credible source before. Like, if you ask anybody, pretty much nobody finds this guy as a credible. He, in all fairness to him, he got ten million dollar bag off being an entertainer at this point. Which, I mean, you know, credit to him. Cool, bro. This guy got his money as being an entertainer more so than look, actual, you know, journalist, which is fine. But again, it's my kind of,
0: my issue with with this is that. This has come from a guy like from Stephen A. Smith who preaches, like, the fact that, like, all about, like, uh, racist, like, you know, all about uh, anti-racism and etc. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's no evidence of that here. Like, the name Stephen A. brought up and Mark Jackson. Well, Mark Jackson hasn't been hired for, like, six years now.
1: And there's a reason for that. Majority of people in the league, if you if you actually do your research... Don't like Mark Jackson. And Even in his tenure, people want to point... People always... I think the thing that pisses me off is people want to take all this credit away from Steve Kerr and want to point to Mark Jackson. Bro, the reason... Pe- be, I think people don't remember... A lot of, a lot of new fans who weren't there, obviously. People don't remember the end of the Mark Jackson tenure and going to see. Like, everyone hated him, man. There's a reason, bro. He got booted out of the team because everyone hated him, and There's a reason why Steve Kerr took that team to next level. Um... You know the Mark Jackson name keeps being brought up again. Like there's, there's a reason why this guy's in the booth and he doesn't get any interviews.
0: And the second name that you, I gotta bring up is Tyronn Liu. but you can't hire Tyronn Liu
1: right now. And maybe well, I mean, the, you could. You, you, no, you, you can't you, hire him. No, if the he's Clippers a, give permission. But you if can the Clippers hire him.
0: aren't gonna give permission in the middle of a playoff run. Like that to me, that doesn't make any sense to the front office and a coach and like a.
1: Well, no, you could, bro. Everyone's. I, I don't think any team has had a problem doing that. Even the Raptors and stuff have all done that in I the, think, the playoff runs.
0: But either way, he's not currently like readily available. And I think the Nets wanted someone now to start the developmental process and start the integration process with their team.
1: And the thing, again, we've talked about this a number of times before. I don't understand where Tyron Lu got this rep of being a great coach. This yeah, guy won a championship. Sure, he's a great player, Uh, you know, player guy in the locker room but he's not a good coach we saw that people for some reason people don't seem to remember his last year in cleveland or any of his years in cleveland for that matter this guy was not a good coach this guy had lebron and Kyrie. there's a reason you know if you if you have those two guys you're and Kevin bound Mark. to at least be and in, Tristan thompson yeah exactly he had a very good like, team he had a really good this team. guy was not a good coach
0: and again like as soon as those guys left i mean like what did the bro really i did?
1: remember watching cleveland games and i Everyone would be laughing at some of the decisions that Tyron Lue would be making, right? So I don't understand where this notion of Tyron Lue being a good coach is
0: Yeah, but go. bottom line, I mean, that's a conversation for another day. Bottom line is this has nothing to do with race. I think the Brooklyn Nets really just like reached out to Steve Nash. Steve Nash uh, expressed interest in coaching, and they thought this would be a good idea to take a flyer on a guy who's very intelligent, knows, definitely knows how to run an offense, uh, and to have his first shot at a head coaching position, and Katie and Kyrie, Kyrie had to sign off on this on this hiring, so if they were okay with it, I'm okay with it too. I just hope it works out. I'm rooting for Steve Nash, and uh, for sure, we'll see what we'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, moving on, are you up or under on the Miami Heat and the Toronto Raptors are basically considered open front runners? For Giannis. And I'm going to preface this by saying. Masai has already reached out to Giannis via his BlackBerry. So sure. le- it doesn't count as tampering. Because it's on BBM. And no one uses it anymore. Except Masai Ujiri.
1: Um, let me preface by saying. Uh, I think the article stated. That it was. Should Giannis not resign with the Bucks, And that's a huge if. Pretty much. But I'm up on it as a Raptors fan. I would love to see Giannis in Toronto. Um, again. If I had to predict though. I don't think Giannis is leaving. I I. I wish as a Raptors fan he would come to Toronto, but I think Giannis is probably going to stay in Milwaukee. Um, Just because we've seen the type of guy he is. I I don't think he's going to leave Milwaukee. Um, But yeah, he and the Raptors, I think, are two very good destinations for him. If he were to leave Milwaukee, Uh, two big markets, two very well-run organizations, uh, two organizations with very good players. Um, and two organizations I think that can take him especially to that next level Um, so I think I think those are two very good teams for then, him to sign if, we've if, been
0: saying it all along the plan is put into place if Giannis wants to win a ring you gotta come to a championship team and I'm sorry Miami until you win a, win a ring without LeBron Raptors are still the championship team here so Giannis in Toronto 2021
1: hopefully, hopefully it's still a thing Next up, are you up or under on the fact that former players and current players were critical of Giannis on Twitter um, for not taking on Jimmy Butler defensively in Game 1? So more context for this. Pretty much a reporter asked Giannis um, if he should have taken Jimmy Butler on defensively in Game 1 and pretty much Giannis was like, why would you say that? I'm going to do what the coach says, what the coach tells me to do. And uh, a number of NBA personalities who are not happy with that answer.
0: Honestly, man, I'm kind of up on it. You know, I let, I I don't mind Giannis' answer of I'll, I'm doing I'll do whatever coach tells me to, but you 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 gotta take that lead, man. You got you if Jimmy Butler is torching you, you gotta step up. At some and, point, you have
1: to you know take the mantle as a star.
0: But one thing I will say, I I, I did not like Richard Jefferson's comment that. That Giannis is more so a Scotty Pippen. And Scotty Pippen got really pissed well, at Well,
1: I, I get where he's coming from, though. I,
0: I know what he's saying. He's saying that he's more of a number two guy, which I disagree with. I think Giannis I think is a right good number now, one.
1: Right now, I would say I, I'm leaning more towards that number two pick. But again, he's only, what, 24 right now. So, you know, a lot can
0: happen. And Chris Middleton really hasn't been showing up for him. Like, his number two, his Robin, isn't... He's been okay, even all right. But again, this has been the problem with Chris Middleton. He's good, but he's not great, which is what, what the the Bucks need him to be great uh, for them to really like get to that next level.
1: I will say, in fairness to Giannis, I think he's better utilized as a interior rover rather than a perimeter defender. Um, you know where Giannis can use his full capabilities as that inside guy, as a guy rotating on the inside. Um, swatting shots or running out to the perimeter, rather than a guy that will chase Jimmy Butler around the perimeter through screens. Um, I think what we- I don't know why Wesley Matthews wasn't guarding him more. That's that was my issue. I don't I don't care about Giannis as much because of the fact that Giannis is better served in another role. But my problem was why was Meth- Wesley Matthews not him? You saw in game two what happened when Wesley Matthews was guarding Jimmy Butler. Wesley Matthews did a tremendous job on Jimmy Butler. The problem was uh, game one. Again, it comes down to what When the world is Mike Boonehoser doing half the time in the playoffs. I don't know.
0: I don't know. Uh but it's definitely uh something to something to pay attention to. You know, like this new age of players are different, man. Like they don't I don't know, man. And I think this is precisely why Jimmy Butler has been frustrated in the last few stops he's been in, like Minnesota and Philadelphia. Because if these, you
1: if you watched game two you would see Jimmy Butler even told the uh, Spolstra, yo, let me t- guard Giannis.
0: And you know, criticize him all you want, but that intensity that Jimmy Butler brings is what is that? That's that championship intensity. That's what. And there's wins a your reason
1: why he's a winner. He's a winner and everywhere. Every, he's gone. Everywhere he's gone, he's been a winner. And when he's been gone, they've all dropped off. Yeah. Right. Um. Finally, are you up or under on the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell finalizing a max extension following their playoff run?
0: I'm up on this, man. Like, um, <clears throat> Utah has essentially locked into a player. Uh, who's this talented? Well, I mean, they
1: didn't really luck it. They they knew he was gonna be this good, which well, is why he, they traded that pick.
0: He, he fell to them, and um, what a pick! Um, uh, great job on the scouting department.
1: Imagine Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell playing together in Denver, bro. That
0: would be insane. Bro. If
1: they hadn't traded that pick,
0: man. Uh, but man, um,
1: and who did they trade that pick for? Trey Lyles, I think it was Trey Lyles and a, Trey Lyles. another pick. If I'm not mistaken, it was Trey Lyles. Like oh my god. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, man, I, I'm not surprised. The way Donovan Mitchell performed in this playoffs, just
1: basically... Historic, historic. He
0: did an amazing job, and I think, again, we, we said this earlier, had maybe, if Bogdanovich would have been there, maybe it would have been a different series. Who knows? I do have one question for the Utah Jazz, and we'll probably do this when we do like an off-season outlook on them. What do they do with Rudy Gobert?
1: Because... Well, that's a big question for them. It's going to be very, very interesting. Because I think do. they
0: do need to get another perimeter-oriented player next to Donovan Mitchell. But they don't really have a ton of tradable assets besides Rudy
1: Gobert. Like, you, you want a guy guy that can has more switchability than Rudy Gobert, but at the same time, you're talking about a top five defender in the league. You can't just let him walk for no, nothing, right? No, absolutely not. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting decision for Utah.
0: Yeah. And with that, that concludes this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely subscribe to the show on all the various podcasting platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, basically wherever you can find a podcast, you can find us with the Up and Under Podcast. Also, follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at up, letter N, under podcast, uh, facebook.com slash upandunderpodcast. Uh, Follow us there for all the latest updates whenever we post a new episode or a reaction to news or an amazing shot by OG. and (laughs) OB when it happens. Um, So definitely follow us there. Also, check out our website, upandunderpodcast.com. It's our central hub for the show. Uh, It's also a place where if you don't have time to listen to the full episode, you can read a blog post about it. So definitely check that out if you haven't already done so already. Uh, And, man, the second round is here. Uh, We're excited, man. Playoffs, things are getting deep, man. You know, shit's happening. So we're going to keep seeing what happens, man. But thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you guys all in the next one.
1: Take it easy. easy.